If you've got a Bible, we will be in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, uh, just the first five verses there. You know, we're at my favorite point of the year right now, uh, which is summer, uh, because we've spent all year in these rhythms and doing like the same things every week. And now there's like chaos for a couple months, and it's really fun, right? And some of you have already been on vacation, some of you are about to go on vacation, I hope that's a good time for you and your family. Uh, but we got a lot coming up as a church, like Camp 78 and Student Camp and all these things. But uh, one of the things that we've passed already that uh, is like always a bittersweet moment for a student pastor a few weeks ago was graduation. We had some seniors graduate from our church. Uh, I've been here like four and a half years. So this was my first class I took all the way through high school. And I'll just tell you, this is always an interesting time for me because uh, I worry, <laughs> I worry for some of them. You guys are going to do great, students. I know you're in here. Uh, but I worry for some of them. And I worry every year uh, for seniors because, here's why, uh, life is really hard. And some of them haven't experienced that yet, right? And so, like, I remember my freshman year of college. Now, I'll, I'll just tell you this. I'm from Pensacola, Florida. Uh, grew up there. And the last thing I wanted to do was stay in Pensacola, Florida. I wanted to go somewhere else. I wanted to go to a big university. I wanted to go to a university that had at least 40,000 people. And then I wanted to be friends with all 40,000 people. Like, this is what I wanted, right? I didn't want to stay. I wanted to go and, and just start a new life and just, it was going to be awesome. So I went to Florida State University my freshman year. Now, I will tell you this. Uh, the moment I knew that God calls to Athens, and it was indeed God that calls to Athens, I was at a high school football game on a Friday night, the first season that we moved here. And uh, there was a person that walked down on the front of the stands wearing all gator garb, all University of Florida stuff, head to toe. And, and, and I remember thinking, wow, I really want to boo that guy, but I don't know people here, and, I'm a Florida, and I don't know much about, like, UGA. I just don't know. And then everyone started booing him, and I thought, dude, I could get behind living here. This is awesome. Like, we fit. This works. This is really good. And so... Uh, so my freshman year, I go to Florida State, and man, I did all those things. I made friends, and, and I was really excited. And but you know, one of the things that you wrestle with when you go to college, maybe for the, the first time in your life, you start to ask yourself the question, "What is God's will for my life?" And we probably all asked ourselves this question at some point, like, "What does God want me to do?" And it's so obvious your senior year as you're making those decisions because because uh, you're about to make a major life change and you have to make a huge decision about where you're going to spend at least the next year and what you're going to study. And so for the first time, you're thinking about like the trajectory of your life. And so you ask this question, what is God's will for my life? And you feel the pressure and the weight of like, I don't want to mess this up. I want to, I want to do the right thing. I want to, I want to do the right thing that God has for me. And so for me, I went to Florida state and uh, it was really hard. Here, here's why. Uh, in high school, I lived in kind of a poor county in Florida, uh, education system, I have a ton of money, and so I breezed through high school. I'm telling you that because it's not that I think I'm really smart, I just think it wasn't that great of a school, and so I just breezed through it. I was like, wow, school's really easy, this is great. Well, and then you go to college, and a few things happen. One, uh, you have to wake up for classes, and the problem with where I, my dorm, uh, was that it was at the bottom of a hill. Uh, and so to go to any of my classes, it wasn't just waking up and going, it was also thinking about, I have, I have a hill to climb. And so I didn't want to do that. Right. And so there was like normal college stuff, normal distractions, normal, like life skills that maybe I didn't have yet or things I weren't, wasn't ready for. There was my own sin and my own struggles and things that, that made life harder. But my freshman year of college was the first time 
that I think I had ever been through something really hard. And some of you maybe can remember the first time you went through something really hard. Maybe for some of you, it was even in your childhood. Maybe you experienced things that no child should experience. But for me, my freshman year was the year that I felt like life just like punched me in the face really hard and I wasn't ready for it. You know, I moved uh, to Tallahassee, had friends, had all these things, but began to experience things like anxiety for the first time and like not really understanding some of that and what was going on. I had some things going on in my life personal uh, back home that weighed on me and I didn't even understand exactly why they weighed on me and, and why it was such a big deal. Like uh, I remember my parents, I, I knew they were about to start the process and talking about like a divorce. And I was like 18, I was like, I'm an adult. I, it's not gonna bother me if you guys get a divorce, it's fine. And the reality of that is it was tearing me apart and I didn't realize the, the stress. I didn't know what it was gonna do to my family. I didn't know what it was gonna do to my relationships with both of my parents. I just didn't know. And the problem was I wasn't there. I was away from home. And so I didn't know what was going on. So it weighed on me. At the same time, my brother uh, was having some health complications and he's one of my best friends in the world. And, and knowing that in like, a, like an eight or nine month period, he had had like four open heart surgeries. Three years older than me, he's 21. That's crazy. I'm worried about my brother's life, if he's gonna make it. And then they were worried about some of my own health issues and complications. And so my freshman year of college, I rolled up on a Florida State with a, a heart monitor implanted under, under my skin, like it was in me. And so I just had the, the stress of that, seeing heart doctors on my own in Tallahassee, like life was just hard. And so, as the semester went on, I'm like, okay, but this is where God called me to be, right? And so I lived my life there and the stress slowly built up and I began to like flunk classes and not show up and not turn things in. And then I got a letter at the end of my uh, fall semester towards the end telling me I was on academic probation and it kind of like shook me up a little bit because I'm like, the only reason I can be here right now is because of scholarships. And if I'm on academic probation, that means not only am I in danger of not being accepted at the school anymore, like they may kick me out because I'm doing so poorly, but I may lose my scholarships. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to really get on top of this thing, right? Well, spring semester comes around and I do even worse my spring semester than I did my fall semester. And so I flunked out of college my freshman year. That's it. I moved back home. I go back to the one place I didn't want to be. I go back to the one school I told myself, I will never go to this school. I go back into a family situation that continued to be difficult. And I remember for the first time in my life, at the end of my spring semester, knowing I was on the precipice of this change and thinking to myself, whoa, you really blew it. God had a plan for your life and you were trying to be obedient, but man, you threw this away. And so for the first time, I thought to myself, did I step out of God's will for my life? Have I ruined God's plan and purpose for my life? And I think this is a question we've probably all asked ourselves at some point. Like, have I stepped out of God's will for my life? Like, have I ruined this thing? Can I not get this back? Because I lost the scholarships. I had to move back. That dream of all those friends. I never got to be around them again. I go back. And, and, and life is fundamentally just different now. What do you do with those moments? What do, what do you do with those moments that make you question, God, why am I here? What have I done? Are you there? Do you see me? Do you care? And am I broken beyond repair? So this morning, I want to help navigate that situation a little bit. 
I want to talk about suffering. And I want to talk about, as believers, exactly how are we supposed to suffer? Because we're told in Scripture over and over again, we'll, we'll suffer for the sake of Christ. We know that Christ himself suffered, and so if we're following in that path, we know we're going to suffer. But how do we do it? How do we handle it? And how do we deal with this question of, have I stepped outside of the will of God? Romans 5, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to take this just a, just a verse at a time. Just a verse at a time. It says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is great. This is a baseline for us. It, this is the gospel right here. And if you went back and you read like the first four chapters of Romans, what you would find out is this verse right here just sums up the gospel that Paul's been laying out and that we are justified by faith and we have peace with God. But we have to understand really what this word peace means because if we're talking about suffering and if we're talking about the will of God and if we're talking about our mistakes and our circumstances and all these things woven together, we have to understand what does it mean to have peace with God? If we don't get that, then we can't deal with the suffering rightly. Well, thankfully, he digs back into this a little bit. Let me, let me just read this to you further on in chapter 5. Let me just read this to you. It says that God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we've now been justified by his blood, much, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For... If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the son of his death, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Church, this is the gospel. That was it. When we talk about peace, what does it mean to have peace with God? Well, that scripture just told us a couple of things. One, because of our sin, we were enemies of God. We stand opposed to God. And because we are enemies of God and because of our sin, God's wrath was on us. But the beautiful thing about the gospel and the beautiful thing about the death of Jesus is that if all we bring to the table is faith, like just faith, just simply we bring faith in Jesus to save us, what happens is God takes that wrath off of us and Jesus, whose son who died on the cross, took that wrath for us. So now, in Christ, because he took that wrath, guess what we have? We have peace. This is the gospel. This is why we're here. And the important thing about this this morning is if you don't understand this, then you won't be able to understand how to have peace in suffering. Because this is fundamental to the Christian life, that we have peace with God. It is the standard for our life. It is the one constant in the life of a believer. And uh, the reason I tell you that is because I think, even if we're believers, listen, we question this so much. We walk into church on a Sunday, and you know what we feel? We feel shame, and we worry at some level because of how we lived our lives and what we've done wrong and the things we're suffering through. We wonder, God, are you mad at me? Like we worry that the wrath of God is still on us. And so we think, God, are you mad at me? And I'm just here to tell you this morning that if you are in Christ, God's not mad at you anymore. You have peace with God. Now, it's also important for us to understand that if you're in this room and you've never placed your faith in Jesus to save you, that the wrath of God is still on you. And so I just want to plead with you this morning that if you've never been saved, then I, I ask you this morning that you would place your faith in Christ to save you so that for the first time in your life, you could experience what it's like to have the peace and life of God. 
peace. It's the standard. It's the calm. It's knowing that God's got us. God's not mad at us. That we walk in love in relationship with him. I think this gets difficult sometimes for us, even when we're maybe not suffering, but this gets difficult sometimes for us because, okay, I have peace with God, awesome, I rejoice, this is great. But then we sin and we mess up, and, but the scripture speaks to this. Look at verse 2. It says, through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, not only are we justified by our faith, and not only do we get this peace with God, but the question remains, we're not perfect, and so we sin, right? And so as we live life and we get things wrong, the question is, well, is God not mad at me for that? And the answer is no. The wrath of God went on to Jesus. The wrath of God's not on you anymore. What you have entered into in this relationship with Christ through faith is the realm of grace. We've obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. So you are literally in Christ. You are standing in grace. So no, God's not mad at you. God hates sin, God grieves sin, but the wrath of God's been taken off of you and put onto his son, so you are at peace with God and he gives you grace for life. And it's why I think looking back to my story, looking back at my freshman year, man, here's the deal. When you go through the first hard thing in life, you think this is like, this is the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life because it's the only hard thing you've been through. But if we're looking at life and the reality of life, there are harder things to come. And so now I look back and I reflect and go, man, there could have been things I I could have done differently with my life, but God had grace for me. God knew I was a kid that didn't know what he was doing. God knew that there were circumstances that were swallowing me whole and I had no idea how to deal with those things. And so God gives us grace and God redirects our steps and he helps us and he calls us into repentance and he helps us experience peace. So as believers, our baseline, it's peace. Our baseline is peace. God's not mad at you. God loves you. God sees you and he sees every part of you and you still have peace with him. So then, what happens when life gets really hard? Like if that's just the baseline and we're having like a good week, a good season, we're like, dude, uh, I have peace with God. This is awesome. I can worship really easily. Things are great right now. Life's good. Work's good. School's good. Friends are good. Family's good. Everything's good. Easy to rejoice, right? But this is what the scripture says as it goes on in verse 3. Look at this. So we know we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace with him. But not only that, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. This is great, (laughs) because here's what's happening in the Word, okay? Let me come over here. Like, if if this over here is peace, like, this is when things are great, and we go, oh yeah, things, my, I have peace right now. God's not mad. Like Things are really good. This is peace, and we rejoice. That's what the scripture says. We're in peace, and we rejoice. But then, what Paul does, he said, but not only that, and then we come all the way over here. He says, we don't just rejoice in that. No, we come over here, and we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, this is this why scripture is so awesome, because over there are the really easy times. We go, yeah, I've got peace with God. Yeah, in faith, I've been justified. Yeah, in faith, I'm in the realm of grace. This is awesome. But what happens when life swallows you whole? What happens when you're suffering? And so what has happened now is we've established the whole thing. 
See, we've gone as as far as possible from peace. And Paul said, but even in your sufferings, you can rejoice. And so if we can figure this out, church, if we can figure out how to have peace over here, if we can figure out how to rejoice right here, then everything in between leading back to when life is really, really good, we can do it. So the question is, how? And what does it look like? And what the scripture takes us to in this scripture is a a process. Is a process. We're told that the way we rejoice in our sufferings is that we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Wow, that sounds really awesome. You know the worst thing sometimes to tell somebody that's suffering? There's a, this scripture might be frustrating sometimes, okay? Have you ever had somebody when you're in the middle of just suffering that's like, hey, God's going to really use this one day. <laughs> that's like the worst thing to hear when you're suffering. Like, hey, I know it's really hard, but you're going to have a testimony one day. And you're going to, dude, I would just rather not be suffering. I, I, I don't want the story. I just want to not suffer. It's like the most discouraging thing sometimes. You're like, that doesn't, that doesn't help me at all. I think that's one reason why that's frustrating is because it's out of our control. You know, life has a lot of processes. You ever thought about this before? We live in the age of information. You want to know something, you just know it. You need to know how something's done, you just look it up. You have a problem, you look it up, there's a process for everything. So uh, the back part of my property, there's a bunch of boulders, big boulders. I love a good boulder, you know, just makes me feel like outdoorsy, but I'm not. But it feels that way, bunch of boulders. But there's one boulder that kind of sits like towards the back, but it's not with those boulders. And last weekend, I was like, man, I would really love to move this boulder up to the front, to the flower bed right here, so people just know from the front yard, like, we're boulder people, you know, and we have a boulder. Like, this looks awesome. So I look it up. I'm like, I wonder how I can move. How, how does one person move a boulder? And there's like four different ways to move a boulder. You could get like a ratchet and like a, a strap and just crank it like three million times, like really slowly, and it just moves slowly. Uh, one guy was like taking, like, he was like chopping down trees and making logs and putting logs underneath the boulder. And then you get leverage and you like plop it on top of those and you kind of roll it. But then you keep moving the logs around it. Like, like just crazy stuff. And, I, and I'm like, I can't believe it's possible for one human to do this. But there's a way to find out the process for anything, right? I, I mean, listen, if you're like, dude, uh, you know, January, let's set some goals. I want to get in the gym. And I have no idea how to get in the, like personally, I have no idea what to do when I walk into a gym. I could look up that. I could find out the process. Someone could give me steps, right? You want to lose weight? You're like, okay, here's like 40 different diet plans. This is the thing, this is the process you do. You have some issues going on in your life, and okay, we'll go see a therapist, and the therapist will give you a process, and you just take control of your life in, in anything. There's a process for anything. And yet we come to this one moment, this one moment in Scripture where we talk about suffering, And what we're given is a process. And the reason it's so frustrating is because this is like the one process in life that we can't do anything about. Have no control over it. So God's going, hey, hey, this thing, there's a process, but I've got it. And I'm just telling you, that's really hard. I probably don't even need to tell you that. I mean, my freshman year as I was walking through this suffering, and by suffering, I don't just mean like you're being persecuted for the faith. No, this word suffering talks about like life's annoyances, the things that are eating at you. And so these can be small things that just build up, or they can be major things that are going on in your life. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily being martyred for the faith, and that's what he means by suffering. No, this just means life is hard. And so I look back at my freshman year, at my sufferings, 
And I think, well, what was my response? Because I didn't, I wanted to process, I wanted to feel better, and it was just to ignore it. I feel stress about a paper, I go hang out with people. I feel stress about my family, I just go hang out with people. Going through something really hard, do I talk about it? No, I just go hang out and act like everything's fine. I ignored it. Some of you are ignorers. You just ignore your suffering and that's the way you take control of it. Some of you do the opposite thing. You, you think, okay, well, I'm going to focus on one really specific thing. And because I can't have control over this one thing in my life, I'm going to have a ton of control over this. So you just, you, just, you just keep coming back to that thing. This is the one thing in my life I can control. But you're not still dealing with the suffering. Some of us react in anger. Anger towards ourselves. A reaction is anger towards others or judgment or legalism or whatever it may be. But here's what I tell you. Because we're all broken and because we're all sinners, our first response in suffering is usually not to turn to God's process. We're looking for a way to take control. We're looking for a way to ease the hurting and the pain. And the reality of life is that there is no process for us. There's no way for us to take control of the suffering. You know, as, um, as a pastor, you see a lot of sin, see a lot of brokenness. And by the way, this is a good thing because we all got it. And this should be the place where we deal with it, okay? This is what church should be. We should be open and honest about the things we're suffering and struggling with. And I remember I was like 23, 24, I was a young student pastor, and usually when people were suffering, that was like big league pastor stuff. I wasn't asked into those rooms and didn't deal with those things. And I remember for the very first time that I was asked to step into someone's suffering, we had uh, two boys in high school in our student ministry at this church whose mom had had cancer for a long time. And I remember being in the room uh, that they came into a private waiting room, and these boys had just said goodbye to their mom for the last time. And they come in the room and they're looking at me. And I'm like, God, what? I don't, I don't know what to tell them. I, I, what's, the, what's the verse? What's the verse that helps them move forward? What, what's the word of comfort I can give them? Where, where's the wisdom? What, 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 what's the path forward? Like, what do I tell them? And, and the answer is, you don't tell them anything. There's no manual for this. There's no answer for this. And it doesn't matter the amount of suffering and circumstances you get exposed to. Every time you think you have the answer, you meet a new circumstance. You meet new suffering. There's no manual for these things. There's no right way to do these things. It's just hard. It's suffering. It's out of our control. But God has given us a process to experience his peace in the midst of suffering. The reason it's hard it's because we can't do anything about it. But it's actually a good thing. It's actually a good thing. For the first time in our lives, we have to practice trusting God. And would we not want the one person who made us, the one person that Hebrews tells us holds all things together, the person that knows every part of us, the person that's sovereign over your life, the person that's sovereign over your circumstances, the person that's sovereign over your suffering, he's saying, hey, this is in my hands. It's in my hands. This should be the one person that we should trust with our suffering. We're presented with this process, and it says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, okay, 
Uh, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So we see this process happening, and it's hard because we just don't know when all these things are going to happen. But we know, we should trust that God's going to do something. I remember, I remember my, uh, well, <laughs> I had a friend who, uh, first time being a student pastor, was going to camp for the first time. And he called me, and he said, hey, Jace, uh, first camp, any advice? Any advice? And you may, uh, if you're a parent or a teacher, like you might, I don't know, identify with this a little bit. I said, okay, listen, this is it. There are going to be a lot of, we take, a, we take over 100 students to camp. Sixth grade, sixth grade, all the way to 12th grade. Do you understand the chaos that ensues at camp? Okay, it's great, it's safe, it's fun, but there is chaos because it is teenagers away from home for a week. Great, okay. My advice to him was this. You're going to have a lot of opportunities to be really mad. Just choose, just choose which ones are worth it. Just choose which ones are worth it. And so if we're putting this process in a place that we say, okay, when we suffer, <laughs> that it produces uh, endurance, here's a great example of that because I gave him that advice and then I also went to camp a couple weeks later. And this advice was tested uh, because uh, I was sleeping on, I think the last night of camp. Y'all don't say anything over here, okay? I was sleeping the last night of camp. And I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the time of 4 a.m. I don't know if you're familiar. Probably because you're sleeping, but you probably have heard about it. Um, but 4 a.m., I wake up. Uh, not on my own. It wasn't like, oh, I woke up. But no, it was 4 a.m., and it sounded like there were trumpets going off in the sky, and Jesus was returning. Like, it was loud. It was loud. It was so loud, it was disorienting. Like, I was confused. It's not a phone alarm. Like, it, it, like what is going on right now? Like, something terrible is happening. And I remember getting up, and I'm looking at Cole, who's on our student staff, and, and we're like, and I'm like, it's 4 a.m., and I'm tired from camp, and I'm like, what's going on? And it's loud, and, and I'm like, okay, it sounds like it's coming from the hallway. And so I step out into the hallway, and it's even louder. It's like so loud that you like can't walk straight. Like you're like this, you know, and you're like, what is happening right now? And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, we've got to, I've got to figure out what's going on. Is there a fire? Is there a fire alarm? Like, what's happening here? There's lights flashing. It sounds loud. 4 a.m. Jason's disoriented. He's confused, but he's like, we have to save the children. And so I'm knocking on doors. And because they're teenagers, it doesn't matter how loud it is. They're just not going to wake up, right? And so you're like, I'm trying to save your life. And you're knocking on the door. And then we go outside, and I find out exactly what happened. How this alarm set off. <clears throat> we all enjoy a good cookie. Right? Everybody enjoys a cookie. Um, and there, there is a, this student uh, is not here this morning, you know, but I would tell, I have told the story in front of him because he's a legend. Okay. He wanted a cookie at 4 a.m. We've all had our fair share of 4 a.m. cookie cravings. But the difference with this one is he didn't just want a cookie. He wanted a warm cookie. Okay. And he decided to microwave this cookie on a plastic plate uh, in the microwave, uh, which caused a fire. Okay. So this is one of those moments. I'm like, I've got all of these guys in the storm. We're evacuating the building. I'm trying to make sure everybody's alive, trying to make sure everybody gets out. I'm going in and out. I feel like I'm rescuing the babies from the burning building. And like the alarm, the sounds loud and it's crazy. And, and there are other churches in the building. And like, and so like now because of like our church, like they're having to get up and go out too. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then we walk outside and here we go. Ready? Here we go. This is great. The firemen show up and, and the kid that set off the alarm is holding the door for all the firemen to go in and out of the building. Eating the cookie. And you know what I thought to myself? I thought, I literally, I can't be mad about this. This kid's a legend. He's a legend. 
And I realized, wow, I really have suffered and I, I've built up endurance. Like, this is it. This is the process at work. If you want to come to camp this year, just let me know, okay? Um, so this is what it looks like. There are things out of your control, and you're just going to experience stuff in life, and you don't know what to do with it. And the answer is that God's got it. I mean, if the, the constant for our life is that we have peace with God in any season, in any circumstance, then we have to be willing to stand in the middle of suffering and go, okay, I have peace right now. Now, the reason that's hard is because everything around you is chaos. Everything around you is hard. Life is punching you in the face over and over again. Life's annoyances are building up, and you're just getting swallowed whole, and you go, okay, I don't know what to do about this. And God, you say, you say that I can have peace in this moment, but how do I truly have peace? How do I experience it? How do I experience peace and life in the Spirit of God in the middle of my suffering? I mean, we're told. We're told that this process, that it leads to endurance and it leads to character and character produces hope. And then that hope doesn't put to shame. Like, how do we get to that? We want to get there. Well, there are a couple things I think can help us practice it. How do you practice peace in the midst of your suffering? How do you practice peace where you're still in the middle of this process and you don't know when it's going to change and you don't know what God's doing, but you're trying to trust him? How do, you, how do you practice it? And the answer, church, is actually really simple, I think. It comes up over and over again. Look, it says this in verse 1. We've been justified by what? By faith. We've obtained access. By what? By, by faith. It comes up repeatedly that the only thing we're supposed to bring to the table in all this is faith. And so in the process of suffering, if we bring faith to the table, what exactly, what does that look like? Because I think that's what's going to help us this morning. If you're suffering this morning, if you're walking through something this morning, the, the question is, okay, how do I truly practice faith in the midst of my suffering? I think there's a couple things, uh, a couple questions that I think we need to answer, which is, well, what does faith feel like? Because suffering feels bad, right? Suffering's hard. And so a good sign is that, what, what, what does faith feel like? like? How do I know what that feeling is in the midst of all of this, right? And then the other question is, well, if that's what faith feels like, what does faith actually look like? What does it look like? Well, the question of what does faith feel like, I, I think it's laid out for us really clearly here. Because we're told that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame. See, we're told over and over again in God's word that there is a future glory. It's actually the reason we're told to rejoice in verse 2, is that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The hope of the glory of God. It's easy in church a lot of times. I, I try and fight this a lot, especially with like students. Like I don't want us to think um, that, okay, I got saved. And so the reason I got saved is so I don't go to hell when I die. And so just as a reminder of that, I'm going to go to church regularly and do religious things. Uh, but ultimately, uh, my salvation is for uh, eternity. Well, I want to fight that a lot. I want to say, no, your salvation, sure, it's for eternity. But it's also for right now. Like, you need, like, God has an abundant life for you because you've been saved and he's put his spirit in you. Like, there's so much for you. So helping people understand that, that no, your life should be shaped daily right now by the word of God and by the spirit of God and the presence of God. It's not just something that comes later. However, however, it's easy to do the opposite, where we put all of our attention on this life. But the ultimate hope for us as believers 
is that the wrath of God's been taken off of us and it was poured out on his son. And so by having peace with him, what that means now is that we have hope in a future glory. It's a reminder that this life is short compared to eternity. It's a reminder that everything we get in Christ, listen, is in eternity with the Father. So what is our ultimate hope in this life? It's Jesus, but it's an eternity with Jesus. And so as believers, we remind ourselves that we're not just rejoicing because things are really good right now. We're rejoicing because we get an eternity with God who made a way for us. And so when it comes to suffering, we have to remind ourselves that there is a future glory. There is a hope that will not end. There is the presence of God fully revealed that we get to stand in for eternity in relationship with him. And listen, listen, in this moment, we get to say, okay, I know the thing that he's given me is coming. So what, what does faith feel like? What does it feel like? It feels like hope. It means that in your darkest moments, it means in your times of most intense suffering and questioning everything about your life and about yourself, in that moment, despite yourself and despite your circumstances, acting in faith means you're going to say, all right, God, I'm going to choose hope. I'm going to ponder the things that you have waiting for me. I'm going to think about those things, and I'm going to respond in worship. I have hope. I know that on the other side of this is Jesus and eternity. No more sin. No more hurting, no more pain. An eternity with God. It feels like hope. Hope is a discipline. Hope is something we practice. It's why we come back to God's word over and over again and remind ourselves the glory that we will stand in with God for eternity. But, but what does faith look like? If it feels like hope, what does it look like? I actually think the answer to this is really simple too. I think it's just obedience. Just Obedience. And if you show up every day saying, God, the one thing I'm going to bring to the table is my faith. I'm trusting you with this. Then that means that you learn to double down on the way that God's called you to live. I think back to uh, that moment at the end of my freshman year. And I remember being on my knees. I remember pleading with God. And I remember just breaking down. Like I was spiraling so hard. I couldn't get together. I was a mess. And the one thing I think about in that time is that God gave me his word as a comfort to me. You know, my freshman year was really the first time I'd ever even read the Bible. Like, I was like, okay, this is what I've been told about Jesus, but I want to know. And I'm so thankful despite mistakes and circumstances and suffering and hardships and all those things being thrown at me, that in the middle of all that stuff, God's word ministered to me. And so I'm just here to tell you, listen, the way you practice your faith is not just the feeling of hope, but it's being obedient in the way God's called you to live in the midst of your suffering. You just double down. You're suffering. You double down on the way God's called you to live. You dig into the word. You get in his word and you read and you let it minister to you on a daily basis. You double down. You get into prayer. Man, you pour your heart out to God. You know what you need to do? You double down. You get with the church. You get with God's people. You get with the people that he's placed in your life. Our response so often when we walk through suffering is like close ourselves off, you know, because we feel shame. We feel vulnerable, we feel hurt, we feel broken, we're worried about how people see us, if they know all the things we're walking through, and so we feel shame. But what the scripture promises us is that if we hope in God, that that hope doesn't put us to shame. He knows exactly what we feel. 
And so while our tendency and our reaction is to say, I'm going to pull back from everybody, what God's saying to do is, no, show up, be faithful, experience peace by jumping into my word, jumping into prayer, being with my people, living out my life on mission for God. This should be the moment that we seek the most after the presence of Jesus. So some of you this morning are suffering I don't know what kind of season of life you're in right now. I don't know what your life's annoyances are, but this is the moment that you don't need to pull back from people. This is the moment you need to tell somebody. Doesn't matter how crazy, doesn't matter how out there, listen to me, this is the moment that you need to trust that God has put people in your life. This is the moment that you need to respond in prayer. And maybe you don't know what to say and you don't know how to say it and you don't know how to express yourself, but you just know you need prayer. Then grab somebody and let them pray for you. Church, you can have peace this morning. I think this is why I feel so burdened for you is that you can experience the peace of God. You can. And it doesn't matter how hard it is right now. It doesn't matter how much you're suffering right now. It doesn't matter what the, what the, the circumstance is, if it's sickness, if it's depression, if it's anxiety, like whatever it is, listen to me, you can experience the peace of God right now in this room this morning. So let's respond in faith. Let's respond in worship. Let's respond in prayer. Let's respond with community. Let's lean into all the things God has for us. Because as we read earlier in Romans 8, that we need to fix our mind not on the flesh and the things of this world, but on the life and peace of God that we get in the spirit. So let's respond with faith. Let's feel hope. Let's be obedient. And let's suffer well as believers. Let's pray.